Thank you. By the way, just a few minutes ago, not that I was checking my text, but I received a message from your pastor. We just stopped for a bathroom break. Your text made me laugh. I'm praying for God's blessing on you as you preach. So good to hear from him. And I'm glad he has a sense of humor, aren't you? Who are your heroes? Whose life do you admire and want to emulate? My five-year-old grandson, now six-year-old grandson, excuse me, Lucas, his hero is Captain America. I was a school child in the day when we had in the classrooms of public schools portraits hanging of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Do some of you remember that? Back then, in the early 1960s, people still identified with heroes and even, believe it or not, politicians were highly regarded. There are some who suggest that in our cynical age, we no longer look up to heroes. Last summer, I read a book called The Illuminous Dark by Dale Allison. Allison is a professor of New Testament at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. And he suggests in his book that we live in an age devoid of heroes. We have traded heroes for celebrities. I'm intrigued by his idea. He contends that heroes demand us to die to our own inclinations and reach for something better, something greater. But in our present cultural context, we've traded those heroes that cause us to aspire for celebrities. We love celebrities because they don't prompt us to be transformed. Heroes cause us to reach beyond ourselves, to aspire, to choose not what's easy or popular, but what is self-sacrificing and hard. Caitlin Beatty wrote in a recent book that in the Christian church of today, we're more enamored with celebrities than heroes. She follows the same thesis that the Pittsburgh theologian put forth. Heroes do the right things. Celebrities just go along with the flow. I think it's interesting that scriptures focus on heroes in the scriptures. Granted, they're flawed, as we were hearing in the children's moments. For several weeks, you've been looking at David probably one of the greatest heroes of the faith. He is mentioned more frequently in scripture than anyone else save Jesus Christ, more than a thousand times. And his fame is not the result of being a celebrity, but because of what he did, a man after God's own heart. Last Sunday, you looked at passages in the early pages of 2 Samuel where the historian recounted David's ascension to the throne of Israel. This morning, we heard a passage where Paul preaches a sermon on his first missionary journey. 
And in that message, he refers to David. And he summarizes David's life with this verse. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, died, was laid beside his ancestors. Now, we're taking of a bit of jump in time, right? Moving from an account of David's lifetime as recorded in Samuel, the 10th century before Christ, to Paul's first missionary journey in 47 AD. Do you feel a bit dizzy as we go through the time tunnel? Hundreds of years after Israel's King David reigns, his life is remembered. And it's remembered as a life of service to God. I think it's interesting that David, a monarch, is referred to and remembered as a servant. We don't usually think of kings as servants. I was greatly impressed last September as I watched the service for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. Archbishop of Canterbury gave a beautiful message. And at one point, he looked out on the audience. If you remember, it was an impressive audience. World leaders, presidents, monarchs. And this is what he said. People of loving service are rare in any walk of life. Leaders of loving service are rarer still. But in all cases, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. David, we remember because he served. A life of service. We are called to serve. Jesus modeled for us that life of service. Remember his words? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Don't you love when your path crosses with someone who serves and has that heart? One of the most devoted servants of Christ I ever met was a man by the name of Pritchard Douglas. He was a retired chemist when I arrived in Brighton to pastor a church there where he was a member. He lavishly gave of his time and talents to that church. I was called to his bedside shortly before he died at the age of 94. He had just awakened following a long night where his son and I had kept vigil at his bedside, thinking that he only had hours left. But to our surprise, as the day dawned, he came once again awake and to his senses. He saw us sitting by his bed. And he was confused for a moment because he thought he had died and arrived in heaven. And he was waking up. I said to Pritch, what did you see? He said, I was standing before Jesus. I said, what did you say, Pritch? He said, I told him I did the best that I could. Doesn't that show a servant heart? By the way, Pritch also commented when he awoke that he was surprised to see me there <laughs> when he thought he was in heaven. 
What a heart. Don't you love that heart? I did the best I could. David was that kind of person. David's posture, even as a king, was to serve the living God. And his servant heart was so visible and memorable that Paul highlights it centuries later. But what does it mean then for us to serve the purposes of God? I think that's a challenging question. And I don't have an easy answer for you. But I think each of us were created with gifts and graces to serve the kingdom of God. I think God's purpose is clear. It's to redeem and to transform this world. His kingdom come. His will be done. Those of us who have committed our lives to Christ are invited to participate in the transformation of this world. If you haven't identified God's purpose yet in your life, let me give you a little bit of coaching. Because I think it's a wonderful adventure of discovery. Here's a simple way to begin. Look around and identify a place of need. What needs doing? Kylie, even at the age of four, saw a need as she listened to the stories her mother told about Rwanda. Where is the world in need of a touch that transforms? If that's too grand a scale, focus on this church. Where is there a need here at UCC? In Canandaigua, where is there a need? And once you identify a place of need, you offer to serve in that place. Whatever the task is, no matter how humble it is, After all, we're servants of God. And as you begin to do the task of service, don't worry if you're not very good at it. It takes a while to nurture the gift and graces. And most of us aren't very good on the first day of a new job. But after a while, one of two things will happen. Either you'll become very skilled and capable and find great delight in serving God in that role, or you'll make a mess of things. Do you remember the story of Eric Liddell as told in Chariots of Fire, that marvelous movie? He was a devout follower of Jesus who realized he was gifted to run. And he said, when I run, I feel his joy. If you're gifted in your place of service, you will feel a joy. I said one of two things will happen. Either you'll grow in your abilities and find joy in that area of service, or you'll do a terrible job. You'll find you don't get any better at it. And finally, some dear saint in the church whose wise will say, Wally, you're making a mess of things here. I think you need to let go of this place of service and find something else to do. You see, David found he had the gifts and abilities that enabled him to effectively rule his people. His reign, even now, is viewed as a golden age in Israel's history. David served. So the question we always have to ask is, am I serving the purposes of God? And it's worth trying new places of service. What may you discover about yourself? 
Not only did he serve the purposes of God, but he did it in his own generation. Did you catch that? I don't know if you know this, but it's 2023. We are halfway through this year, and 2024 is fast approaching. I often hear people express their opinion of how difficult these past few years have been. What does God want us to do in this present generation? There's a tendency in the church to think of the good old days. Days in the past. We get very nostalgic. Mary and I went to a concert at CMAC Thursday night with a tribute band that did the songs of the Beatles. During the show, they showed a clip of old TV commercials from the 60s. Dippity-doo. Do you remember Dippity-doo? I looked around and everybody was laughing and smiling. I think the average age was 75. And we all remembered Dippity-doo. We were nostalgic at that concert. So we place everything in golden hues. Wasn't it wonderful, the days of Dippity-doo? There's a reason they no longer sell Dippity-doo. So we may lament, oh, if we could just have the good days, the good old days. Can I remind you that in the good old days, they lamented the good old days. And in the good old, old days, they lamented the good old, old, old days. Are you with me? And in the good old, old days, they lamented the good old... I could do this for quite a while. And if you keep going back, you end up in the Garden of Eden. And let me tell you, it didn't work out so well. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, doesn't mean we ignore the past, but we live for today. I think today is full of opportunity to serve the living Christ. And then the scriptures tell us he died. In the King James Version, it says he fell asleep. He died. And I want to suggest today that we should carry David's bones with us. Now that sounds a little odd, I know, to say carry his bones with us. Let me explain what I mean. I came across this idea in a book by A.J. Swoboda, professor of Bible at Bushnell University in Oregon. His book is titled After Doubt. And in it, he encourages us in the church of today to carry the bones. He's referring to a practice that has a long tradition among people of faith. We first encounter the idea in Exodus 13, where we're told that Moses, when he led the people of Israel out of Egypt, brought with him the bones of Joseph. That verse reads, And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath to the Israelites, saying, God will surely come to you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here, referring to Egypt. It appears that tradition of carrying the bones continued into the New Testament church. One of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation is the church at Smyrna. Congregants at the church of Smyrna wrote this about their former pastor. Quote, and so later on we took up Polycarp's bones, 
which are more valuable than precious stones and finer than refined gold. Here's what Sobota comments. The earliest Christians care for the bones of their heroes. It may seem odd, this practice. We were made by God to carry with us those stories, traditions, and histories of the mothers and fathers who followed God long before us. So the question is, whose bones are you carrying? Who are your heroes? What are the stories and histories and traditions of those who serve God faithfully that are shaping your life? I picture Moses on that long journey to the border of the promised land, making sure Joseph's bones were kept safe. Even more importantly, I imagine Moses related again and again and again and again the story of Joseph to the people who were traveling with him. And as Christians, we best embrace the future by intentionally retrieving the best of the past. I think often of Pritchard, whose bones I carry. I did the best I could. Those histories keep us grounded. Back to Professor Swoboda. He wrote, there's a world of difference between having a faith of our own and making up our own faith. The former is living into the stories of God that have been ongoing since Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and David. The latter is a heresy, reinventing the faith for our own desires today. We face a challenge now, this morning. We cannot ride on the coattails of David or any of the other of the great heroes of Scripture. We must decide whether or not we will walk with God and serve His purpose in this present generation. It's an apostolic faith. It's why we need to carry the bones to be tied to the past of faithful women and men. A life of service to God, which brings me back to David. After he had served the purposes, of God in his own generation. He died and was laid to rest beside his ancestors. I wish I could map out your journey of faith for you, but I can't. One of my heroes is Eugene Peterson, who wrote many books about ministry. And he talked about the Christian life, describing it this way. It's intently haphazard. Did you catch that? It's intently haphazard. We go through life following God, not quite sure what's around the next bend, but we do it intentionally. It may seem haphazard to us, but the older I get, the more I look back and I can trace God's guidance in the midst of my life. Intently haphazard. He said we should awaken every day looking at the day as an opportunity where every step is to be a rival. Catch that? Every step is to be a rival in the purposes of God in the coming kingdom. Being intently haphazard means you walk through ordinary days 
aware that you may come upon holy ground at any moment. It may be a conversation with a friend in which you move to discuss things of importance. And the spirit, in a way you don't understand, is present. And you almost want to slip off your shoes because you sense you're on holy ground. It might be at work, and in the course of the day, there's an opportunity to bless a co-worker, in word or in deed. Perhaps at home, playing with your children or grandchildren, you sense the joy of the Lord. Or you pray with them at the dinner table with an awareness of God's presence and a sense of his goodness settles over your home. You can't orchestrate such holy moments. You simply have to pause and experience them. I know I'm not sharing a formula for discovering the purposes of God. There's no five steps here, no 10 minutes a day. It's a way of viewing life. It's a posture. I have a little book on my study desk, A Gift from a Friend. It's a book of prayers, and the title is, I love the title, Every Moment Holy. I open it often. It even has a prayer for the ritual of enjoying a cup of morning coffee. It ends with these words, that ritual. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake to your grace, O Lord. I think we need the saints of old to help us here. We need to carry their bones so we live our lives not on a treadmill racing through life, but at the impulse of God's Holy Spirit, intently haphazard, awake to God's grace. We tend to think great things happen through exceptionally gifted people. I don't think that's true for the most part. There are some exceptionally gifted ones. But have you noticed how many of the heroes of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews are commonplace people? Have you noticed how that chapter concludes? After impressive names like Noah and Abraham and Joseph and David, the writer of Hebrews then recounts nameless heroes. He says there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They're not named. Hundreds, thousands of people who through the ages followed Jesus, even when it was costly for them. Women and men serving the purposes of God. Are you serving the purposes of God in this generation? I encourage you to go through this day intently haphazard with every step you take, a step of arrival into the purposes of God. Father, I pray your blessing on us. Father, may we find those who inspire us, our own heroes of faith, 
whose bones we can carry. So we are firmly planted in the wonderful tradition of the Christian faith. I pray for everyone here, no matter how young or how old, that they would discover this day more about the purposes you have for them in their own life. And Father, give us above all hearts of service. For this we ask in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen.